Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic, and my name is Sammy James. Thank you for downloading the show today, and we're going to be looking back at Saturday night's dramatic 1-0 defeat to West Ham at the London Stadium. Thomas Suchet broke our hearts in the 91st minute, and then in the 98th minute, Adamola Lookman inexplicably tried to penenka it into the goal but all he found was the big left glove of Lucas Fabianski. An unreal, horrible moment for every Fulham fan concerned. We're going to be looking back at that penalty instance in detail. How Fulham performed throughout the rest of the game, which was pretty positive um, for the most point. And of course, maybe having a, look, having a look back at the past four games as we go into the next international break. And what's been certainly a much more positive set of results for Fulham, even if maybe the points tally doesn't quite justify how the performances have been on the pitch. Joining me to talk about the game today, I've got Adam Fakarsen. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Sammy. How are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. Farrell Monk. Hello, Sammy. How are you? All right, thank you. And a late call-up, Ben Jarman. How you doing, mate? Hello, Jamie Sames. I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you can thank George Cooper, who uh, still hasn't really given a reason for why he pulled out today around 3pm. He's mind... having uh, an illegal lockdown pint of his mates. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Ooh. slanderous claims uh, two minutes into the podcast, Jarms, but maybe that is exactly what's happening. I just thought he did, couldn't bear to listen to me and Farrell wang on about VAR for 45 minutes, so uh, made a swift exit from the podcast. Okay, um, Adam, you were on three-word review duty yesterday, so what were the best ones that you saw come in after the game? Yeah, so we've got um, Frank Miller with Flattened by Irons. We've got Martin J. Fox with Last Minute Ben Drama. <laughs> Christian Silva with don't look man and Rokas with point chipped away oh very very nice oh, well loads of questions uh, come in as well so we're going to get into those uh, in a little bit but um, Farrell I'm going to come to you first and I'm going to start at the end of the match. I don't tend to do that. I like to keep things chronological, but it was clearly the biggest moment of the game and we have to start there. Tom Kearney wins a penalty for Fulham in the last minute of injury time. The decision over the penalty goes to VAR. It takes an absolute age for the referee to make up his mind, but he gives the penalty. In it. And from what I think, it was the right call. Adamola Lookman steps up and just... Explain to me, Farrell, maybe what is try what is going through Adamola Lookman's head there is I mean he one thing to Penenka it and you know slightly get it wrong or the keeper make a good recovery, but he, he got everything wrong in that moment. So many times that you know it's been widely spoken about how most pe- most scored penalties are hit straight down the middle. Um and I'm okay with that. You know, many many people who take penalties they hit it down the middle and the keeper gets absolutely nowhere near it um i am not a huge fan of penenkas but you know it's one of those ones where if it comes off you're a hero if if it doesn't come off you look like a prat and unfortunately it 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 fell on the shoulders of you know one of the brightest sparks of the season so far and what has been a, a dim couple of months it wouldn't feel as as bad as it would if it was in the first 10 minutes, for example. But when you're when there's so much on the line, when points are so valuable, um, 
at all stages of the season when you're trying to fight for relegation to sort of let that one slip through your fingers is just absolutely, it was just absolutely baffling. Admittedly, at the time, I was quite a lot of Prosecco deep because uh, celebrating a certain taken out from the White House. But, uh, you know, it was when the penalty was awarded, I was kind of thinking that wasn't even a penalty, but that was probably my blurry Prosecco vision. Unfortunately, I've watched it now 10 times. I, I still can't, still can't get over it. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Missing any penalty is bad. Why is this one worse? Like, look, we just watched um, Liverpool, Man City and De Bruyne missed the target completely for, from his penalty. Just missed it. Missed the goal entirely. Why is what Lookman did worse than what De Bruyne did? Well, I think it's because you ha- when you have a look at the style of penalty, it's one that's obviously really lackadaisical. And Penenka is one of those where if you can pull it off, they look incredible. But if you absolutely screw it up like Lookman did there, you, you look like a bit of a class clown. Um, I do admire the fact that he's confidently like sort of strode up and taken that penalty in the last minute and and tries to give it a go. However, I, I guess in hindsight, what he'd love to do is just absolutely wallop it as hard as he could. And I think that that's what most players would do in that in that situation. I, as I said, I do admire him for having the balls to almost take it upon himself to try and out, outthink and outclass Fabianski there. It's just incredibly unfortunate that it hasn't come off. It reminded me of whenever you play golf and you, you, you're chipping around the green or whatever. <laughs> and so, and so, and it's chipping on the green is a really hard skill because you can either thwack it and hit into the next hole, or you can under hit it and it goes about two yards away. And there's no more frustrating feeling in golf. It felt very much like that. He just didn't have enough conviction with it, Adam. Yeah. You could also hear someone just behind him as soon as he kind of hit it, scream, no. What have you done? (laughs) Wasn't it Parker? It it must have been, but it was picked up on the mics and straight away, like I'm sure that was what went through, not just his head, but all of our heads as well. Whereas I don't think you usually get that with the kind of thing when you miss the target, you're like, well, I gave my best shot. Whereas I think he's looking back on that thinking, I really wish I hadn't even attempted it in that fashion. I mean... Farrell, it's it's an odd decision that it it came to Lookman anyway. We've had our penalty problems and I've got some stats to hit you all with in in a couple of minutes time, but it surely should have been Mitro. Parker said it's because he had a a tight hamstring, but I'm not sure if I buy that. If Mitro takes penalties, Mitro played like 30 minutes of the playoff final with, with a, with a basically one leg. I just can't believe that he would give that up. And actually there's a question here from, from Sophie Johnson. She said, he, she says, why wasn't Mitro taking the penalty in the first place? Obviously fit as he played all game. Wouldn't expect to see a player of his caliber refusing to take a penalty after one miss. And surely that speaks volumes for his confidence. I'm, I'm so lost as to how that ends up in the hands of Lookman anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, it's such a, it's such a tough one to call it. it I, 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 I do buy, that excuse that he did have a tight hamstring and didn't want to sort of maybe miss it because he's thinking about it too much. Um, no striker. Come on, Farrell. No striker in their right mind passes up that opportunity. If you've got a broken leg, maybe, but if you've got a tight hamstring and you're a true number nine, like Mitrovic is, you're telling me you don't want to take that penalty in the 90th minute. I'm, I'm not buying it. Well, I think the other thing that you might be able to point to is the fact that if he if he did have a tight hamstring and, you know, let's be honest, he's he's the only striker in in the squad, like out and out striker, um, you know, with the quality enough to lead the line that you would think that Parker wouldn't want to risk, you know, exasperating an injury. 
And like, if he did have a tight hamstring, he could have been taken off because we still had available substitutions um, from memory. Um, so there are sort of like you're weighing up the you know the different arguments. Therefore, it does. I mean, like you said, Fulham's penalty problems go go back so many years. It's almost becoming like um, it's becoming sort of like a, an epidemic within the club, and something is not going to resolve any any anytime soon. But I I still feel like Parker has solidified Mitrovic as the penalty taker, and it is kind of a baffling decision to let Lookman take it for in particular. And I know you'll come onto it with your amazing stats and I'll try and talk as long as possible so about stats for so long um, that Lookman hasn't taken a penalty in a senior career to date, has he? So yeah, it's, it's, it's such a big, a big, um, it's such a big moment, especially to fall on a, on such young shoulder, young, young and experienced shoulders inexperienced. So, here are the stats, right? So I had a really fun Sunday morning compiling some of these. So my thinking is that Fulham's penalty problem started when Ross McCormack left the club. Ross McCormack scored every penalty that he took for Fulham. And we have had plenty of players over the years that have also scored most of their penalties. Um, Danny Murphy scored every penalty apart from the Man City one, which then he scored the rebound for. Dimitar Berbatov scored all of his penalties. But since McCormack left, apart from maybe Ollie Norwood, who was fairly reliable, I don't think we've had anyone good. We have missed 43% of our spot kicks in the last five years. That is... 43. Now, the average success rate, according to bookies, is 75%. So Fulham have missed 43. And I then looked through our squad and who's scored penalties and not penalties throughout their career. Now, Mitrovic has missed about a third of the penalties compared to the one he scored both in his career and for Fulham he scored six and missed three for Fulham Kearney has scored two missed two I think you can discount Kearney even those ones he scored were pretty unconvincing and then actually Kamara has a pretty good record he scored two and missed one for Fulham we all know the one he missed and in his career he scored six missed one but the one that really goes missing is Bobby Decadova Reed he was the penalty taker for Bristol City and for Cardiff he scored five penalties in his career missed none of them and one of those penalties was in a league cup semi-final at the Etihad against Claudio Bravo to put Bristol City 1-0 up with thousands of Bristol City fans in attendance so a pretty big penalty and he's also scored for Cardiff in the Premier League from the penalty spot in a massive relegation six-pointer against Bournemouth I personally think looking at all of those stats if you need a penalty taker it's Bobby Decadova Reed. And I know he wasn't on the pitch at the moment at that moment to take the penalty, but I can't imagine he'd have been given the penalty anyway. So there's my research. I'm actually going to put an article up with all my research tomorrow on the Fulhamish website. So um, do give that a read. But um, anyway, Jams, your reaction to the fact that I've want, for once put in some work into this podcast. I mean, it's incredible work, Sam. Um, I, I do think that actually... Bobby Decordover Reed does fly under the radar on, on a lot of things, actually. And I think we saw this in our in our ratings uh, that we put out earlier on today. I, uh, just for, for those of you that don't know, it's a canvassing of opinions from across the board and everyone gives an average and, and we take that average for a score. But Bobby actually got just over six, I think it was. And I thought yesterday, he actually had quite a good game. Um, I thought he linked up well. His work ethic going back and, and covering the right back was good. And, and actually... I thought he had a quietly effective game. He deserved to have a goal, in my opinion. And 
had he put it in the corner a little bit more past Fabianski, you would have got one. But yeah, Sammy, I think your work rate on those uh, penalty stats, incredible. Perhaps you could uh, apply for a job in our stats department, mate. I mean, I went on transfer marked for about 25 minutes. I'm not sure it qualifies me for a uh, senior role in football stats, but maybe. I don't know. I don't know how easy it is to get a job in in that world. I imagine not that easy. Um, Adam, let's come on to the rest of the game. Um, we made one change, which was Harrison Reed in for Lamina. No massive surprise considering Lamina went off at half time in that game against West Brom with an injury. And okay, West Ham had the slightly better chances in that game. And of course, towards the end grew into it as they, as they sensed a victory that they were correct to sense. But overall, I thought Fulham were more than value for a point in that match. And, and we can count ourselves blisteringly unlucky not to have got one. I agree. I've properly, like I've, I, I put out the tweet on uh, Fulhamish as well. Is anyone else enjoying this? Because I genuinely was. It was one of those games that you could see, okay, we'd made the switch with Harrison Reed coming in, but we looked like we had the same um, quick passing that was really evident in our last game against West Brom that was causing them problems. And I, I just thought as long as we keep this up, we are actually going to get a breakthrough here. Now, unfortunately, in the second half, it seemed that West Ham really did kind of they found a way of combating that and Fulham slowed down um, their approach play as well. But I, I'd like to come back on the point of Bobby Deckard over Reed. Like he's come into this squad and we've really had a problem on the right-hand side. He seems to have filled it quite well, but if he was it, like, if he was more clinical in front of goal, you know, that was probably our biggest chance of the game. We definitely should have been one up from there. And I don't think, you know, we would have been, in panic stations towards the end because Parker would have probably parked the bus from there, wouldn't he? Well, probably, yeah. But um, Farrell as well, just interested to get your thoughts on the game as a whole because, well, as I said, I thought I thought generally it was pretty positive and I'm sure you'll feel the same because I, I like to think you're an optimistic kind of guy and, and also an optimistic guy in a pretty good mood after this weekend. <laughs> yeah, um, it was... Overall, I think the game was... You know, it did ebb and flow depending on which team was in the ascendancy. Right at the start of the game, West Ham were firmly on top and I felt Fulham defended okay because, you know, they were able to sort of like all those balls flying in, they were defending them quite well. What was quite disappointing is that we weren't sort of trying to challenge the second ball. Um, You know, there was a couple of speculative efforts from outside the box, which Ariola dealt with fantastically. But then from, especially in the first half, you know, after that ten-minute spell, it was pretty much all Fulham. The rest of rest of that, um, the rest of that kind of like 30, 30 minutes or so, and you know, like Adam was saying, we we really were passing it well. We were we were staunch in the tackle. We were breaking well. Um, we were creative. The only problem was is that I felt like, and this is throughout the whole game, I felt like there was only one or two sort of ways that we were going to open up West Ham and that was kind of getting it into wide areas and getting balls into the box. I've got to admit, I thought that Kearney's crossing was much better on the left-hand side than uh, uh, Anthony Robinson. I kind of, as the game wore on, I was thinking, I thought Robinson had an okay game, but just about, and I didn't think he was being as productive down that left-hand side. I would have quite liked to see Brian come on and and sort of try a different uh, crossing uh, because we know how good he is at uh, getting balls in from the, from the wide areas. Um, but then in the second half, it was it was kind of much the same. Um, start of the second half, West Ham were in the ascendancy. Um, they hit the bar um, and 
from but from after that it was all it was all pretty much Fulham and then the game kind of turned on its head in the last 10 minutes really it was we were really camped inside our our own box for large periods and and West Ham were, were unfortunately able to capitalize it the problem was which which you know then this is the difference between West Ham and Fulham yesterday was the fact that Fulham defended you know really well for 89 minutes but it's that one kind of mistake and I would kind of put it on on our double pivot of Anguissa and Reed that didn't uh, when the ball came uh, came cross field and we could talk about the offside in a bit but they didn't drop with the play so when the ball uh, fell at Ben Rama's feet Suchek had all the time in the world to pick up that ball and fire it into the bottom corner really and that's the that's the disappointing thing Whereas, you know, when you look at look at considering West Ham, that they they defended really well for all that game. There were no mistakes. Um, I thought Agbona and Balbuena were excellent. I thought that as a team that they they didn't look like they were going to try and give Fulham any any sniff of of a really decent opportunity. It was only a really nice play in between Kearney and Dover Reed. It was a, a, a well fashioned chance for him. But I think that shows the difference in between the two teams um, uh, overall, really. Yeah, I mean, Jarms, it was unfortunate and um, and Greaser didn't maybe have one of his best games there. I mean, from a very high standard, though, I think he just maybe hasn't lived up to some of the performances that we've seen, particularly against West Brom on Monday. But let's talk about the defence. It was, again, another fairly solid performance from Anderson and Adarabayo. A couple of things, though. I felt like Adarabayo really misplaced quite a few passes from the back. He kept trying to do those straight balls into the middle and they very often got pickpocketed or intercepted by by the West Ham midfield. And then the goal, it's, it's one of those that within the laws of the game, it's not offside. But as Parker rightly alluded to on Match of the Day, Joachim Anderson cannot let that ball just go over his head and and hope that Haller is definitely offside. So in, Haller is interfering with play, but as the letter of the law stands, he isn't. And and that's pretty frustrating. And I can see that I think Parker was more annoyed by that than he was by what Lookman did. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's very difficult to disagree with Parker there. I'm, I'm exactly what you said. It's You can't take any risk in the Premier League and you can't take any risks in the... In an era where offside is seemingly dictated by VAR um, and potentially some some rules that aren't exactly easy to interpret, and uh, and if you're Joachim Anderson at that moment in time, you don't sit there and think, "Oh God, I'm just going to let that ball go over my head." You have to play it, um, and I think the reason why the reason why he's had to play it and, and play it so unfortunately not quite as well as he would like to is because his, bo- his body positioning is all over the place because he's trying to attract two people. Obviously, he's got the guy in front of him that's offside and then he's got he's got um, the player coming in around the back of him in between him and the fullback. So it's very difficult for him to judge where he should be. Um, in your, in reference to your first point about Tosin Adarabayo, I, f- I actually thought there were a few shaky moments for him, but that's one thing you're going to get with Adarabayo. And the one thing that why we picked him up is that he's, his passing range is good. And... Ultimately, um, it's good off both feet, and, and he likes to break through the lines. You know those those passes you see where he misses out the fullback and goes straight into the midfield, and and at times Fulham actually cry out for that because there's so many times 
when you see the partnership of, of Ream plus one other and they'll play it out to the fullback and it will come back into the centre half and and uh, they'll play it around the back for a little bit more. I actually like this centre half partnership because you've got Adrabio who sort of gives us the the passing range through the through the thirds, but then you get Anderson who's sort of like a he sort of almost reminds me of a bit of a Gerard Piquet. I know a lot of people will will take that and run with what I've just said, but he's not the fastest guy. But he's got an incredible reading of the game and he definitely knows how to use his feet um, and he, he knows how to pass it as well. And I think that um, I just wanted to go back to, on Farrell's point is that um, regarding uh, Robinson, I think he, he had quite a difficult task out there yesterday because West Ham sort of employed some sort of 3-4-3 or 3-4-1-2 formation where actually Soufal on that right-hand side was was actually most of the time in a little bit of a no-man's land between the, the winger and and Robinson and and Robinson I, f- I think in my opinion and Aina on the other side actually dealt with dealt with that wing back system quite well and what it did was take Angisa and Reed dropping dropping into those channels sort of like the right and left back channel to try and cover them and actually I feel like there was quite a lot of harmony between the back our back four and, and the defensive midfielders there and it was comfortable for the most point it was a very cagey match but it was comfortable and I think actually Fulham bossed it superbly, and um, yeah, that's just my take on on the back on the back six. Um, I think Adam, there's probably enough talking points across the team to go through every player in the starting eleven, and we probably haven't got time for that today. But obviously, one player that massively impressed—he uh, was man of the match as far as the Fulhamish player rating uh, was concerned—is Alphonse Ariola, and a great piece by Peter Rutzler uh, in the Athletic, which came out yesterday morning, talking about how Ariola has, you know, really settled into the number one position, and of course, it was so controversial at the start the fact that he replaced Marek Rodak and I think quite a lot of us were, were quite angry about the situation because it felt greatly unfair on, um, on on Marek but he had another great performance yesterday if you want to read Peter's piece by the way theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod you can get The Athletic for one pound a week would thoroughly recommend it and of course you can listen to this podcast advert free on there but Adam your thoughts on, uh, on Alphonse Areola and another great display from him yeah, I remember at the start of the season when we were kind of discussing his uh, incoming transfer and we were all a little bit unsure as to where that would leave Marek Rodak. Would he, you know, continue as our, our number one? But it, was, it became pretty clear that, you know, um, Ariola is going to be our number one goalkeeper and he's showing exactly why. He's got all of the qualities that we've been crying out for in a goalkeeper, um, but he keeps us in games, you know, within the first 10 minutes, really. We could have been 3-0 down if it wasn't for Ariola. Um, he's not only good at making the saves as well, his distribution was really good. He always is consistently looking for a quick break as well. So the ability to just throw it out to Robinson, who's always ram- rampaging forward, can actually make us much quicker in the transition, which has definitely been a criticism of Fulham in the past. I even loved it as well at the end. Obviously, what came to be our penalty. He was actually in the box ready um, for that last minute uh, call. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Well. He, even, like, he even dropped dropped to just outside the box, waiting for Kearney to square it to him. I mean, <laughs> how, how different things could have been. He was on an, uh, an absolute star uh, rating yesterday. And I really hope that continues. It's a bright spark in our season. 
I'd like to think that if um, somehow Ariola managed to score in the 97th minute, that he would have been our first ever 10 out of 10 on the Fulhamish player ratings, which has never happened because it only takes one person to vote under 10 and you can't average 10. But I'm hoping that one day someone achieves it. And I think <laughs> Ariola could have if he uh, had managed to belt in an equaliser uh, right at the end. Um, Farrell, it's been an interesting four games for Fulham at the start of the season, because it happens that the games fall in kind of four fixture chunks in between international breaks. We know that the first four games for Fulham were an absolute disaster. The second four games we've come back. We drew against Sheffield United. We lost that game against palace, which wasn't our best performance, won the game against West Brom and then narrowly lost yesterday. But as we've spoken about probably could and should have got um, a point from it. You know, if you were a school teacher, what would you grade these four games well i mean as a whole i would i mean i'd be writing without putting actual grade on it i'd be writing satisfactory we are a team that's on the up and i feel like this team has kind of shown its potential that we are going uh, away to a west ham team that have kind of like stopped and stuttered uh, as well as much of fulham but you know they are a solid premier league team they've got they've got some very good talent in there and you know we for a large part of the large part of the game we were pinning them back and asking a lot of questions so I think after that and I think for specifically for people like Canyons and, and Lookman and players players have been generally playing, playing well that you know we want to keep that kind of that run going so to have to wait another couple of weeks for for our next game or buy it against um a slightly wounded uh, Everton team who lost uh, yesterday to Man United. It, it would be good to to sort of continue that run on, and especially with some of the, the the overall performances, which are getting better and better. Okay, well, we're going to take a little bit of a break there because we've got loads of questions to get through. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here and I'm with Adam Fakarson. Evening, Sammy. Farrell Monk. Howdy, y'all. And Ben Jarman. Hello, mate. Uh, everyone's given themselves uh, funny related Fulham-related names on the uh, on the podcast system today, so good to see that nothing ever changes. Uh, Adam has called himself Adamola. I guess that makes sense. Uh, Farrell has called himself Varel, and uh, I assume he's excited about the NFL tonight because Ben has called himself Red Zone Jarms. I'm very excited about the NFL tonight, and for anyone that does fantasy. Uh, this week, the return of Christian McCaffrey, uh, and I'm about to go top of my league, so buzz in off that. Oh, speaking of top of the league, I'm top of the uh, Fulhamish Fantasy Football League at the moment. Thank you very much. And I'm 50th in the main one. I'm having an absolute stonker of a season, and I make Bloody no hell. apologies for boasting about it. Stop the Even... count. Stop the count. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally stop the count, and I will be absolutely delighted. Um, okay, let's go on to some of your questions that have been rattling through today. Uh, we're going to start off with a question from the Fulhamish Kofi Backers Facebook group. Uh, this one's from Kevin O'Donnell. What aspects of Parker's management are beginning to impress you? 
well, to be honest, it, he, he seems to. He's been saying the whole season that he has a plan, that he want, he knows how he wants his team to play, and I wasn't entirely sure on that until the last three games. So I am impressed that he does seem to be bringing an identity to this Fulham team. Uh, he's also managing to create quite a cohesive unit in the press. I didn't necessarily think that a Parker team would be one that would press quite as much as it does. I thought it might be one uh, that would mainly kind of stay in possession. But the way that we're now pressing uh, higher up the pitch, uh, pitch especially, is really impressive. Um, I'm just really enjoying watching our teams play right up until the final five minutes. Uh, Next question, also from the uh, Facebook group from George Warren. I'll go to you in this one, Ben. Uh, uh, Other than the last 10 minutes, was that the best we've seen Fulham defend this season? Uh, in my opinion, yes. Um, mainly because West Brom didn't really attack us in any, with any sort of intent. Um, but West Ham certainly did. And they, as, as I alluded to in the first half of the pod, they actually played a formation that made it quite difficult for a 4-2-3-1 to operate as sort of solidly as we did. And um, I think now we're, we're really going to start to see um, the principles that Scott uh, and Adam alluded to just then, like coming to the fore. We're going to see a little bit more of a of a team that drives on, uh, a little bit more of a team that holds firm too. And I think we're starting to see what two competent fullbacks can do for a team. Staying on the issue of defence, this one from Elijah. Uh, He says, everyone in here is asking about penalties, but I want to ask about our defence. We've been rock hard giggity at the back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, I'm annoyed that I've read that, but here we go. Well done, Elijah. Um, with Tosin and Anderson, uh, do you see Reem, Lamarchand and Adoy making it past January, Farrell? Um, I certainly feel like, unless injuries occur, I still feel like people like Reem and uh, Lamarchand may make an appearance in the future. Um, there's nothing I, I wouldn't want more than Adoy making a spectacular comeback, showing the form that we've we've known that he's capable of and bagging a goal and, you know, playing balls off his back and doing backflips, you know, that kind of stuff will certainly make me rock hard. But, you know, I think that <laughs> Scott Parker is probably, Scott Parker is looking at him and he's, he's put him in the squad. He's put him in the squad and, um, <laughs> are you okay, lads? Honestly, I think I think the last minute has maybe been a record low for the Fulhamish podcast. <laughs> We can we can certainly make that far lower. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm dying. The fact that you just, just said sort of that nothing point. would make you happier than oh my god, oh. <laughs> are we still recording? <laughs> Chaos. Uh, I mean, Absolute chaos. Oh, I've gone. I've dropped. <laughs> we, we get it, Farrell. You like Dennis Adoy. Let's move on. Um, I do like. Um, next question from C Hunt. Um, I'll go to you <laughs> this one, Farrell. <laughs> Surely not. Surely not. No. Oh, has he got a brother I called Mike? <laughs> oh I actually, God. I actually didn't do that one on purpose either. I just was reading the next question that was on my list. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right. Anyway, C Hunt asks, disgusting penalty. 
Um, and whether the West Ham goal should have stood aside, Parker's poor substitutions have cost us again. Uh, he's talking about Rob Ruben Loss's cheat coming off uh, Bobby Decadova Reed, which he said lost our defensive shape down the right after removing um, Decadova Reed's work ethic. Uh, he asks, will he ever get this right? Um, Adam, I want to ask, was that such a bad substitution? I kind of saw the point of it at the time, um, but Loftus cheek. I don't really know what the future holds for him. He's clearly such a talented player, but seems to have the same problem with us that he does at Chelsea. Where do you put him in the side? Yeah, it really does seem to be that problem. I don't think, you know, in the game that he did play on the on the right-hand side, I don't think he really shone in that one. We've then said as well, when he's playing at 10, he's not great with his back to goal, so he needs to probably be in the eight position. And I cannot see us dropping Frank. Um, you know, in that eight position, there's no reason to do so. I think um, coming back to the substitution, bringing on uh, Loftus-Cheek at that point in time for Deckard over Reed shouldn't in theory have made too much difference. It should have been a pair of fresh legs. And really, he should have been able to track back. Um, I actually saw the commentator saying, oh, that's some tired legs there. He's just come on. Um, <laughs> so it, it was a surprising there. I, I just think he just lost his man and he wasn't actually tracking back. Um, I don't think it was a bad decision, but Loftus-Cheek is really struggling, yeah, as you say, to fit in this side. And I don't, I don't know where the right position is for him. Um, so same position he was in at Chelsea, really. Yeah. Um, next question from James Brodie, and he really echoes a lot of what's in my head at the moment, which is, do you have more confidence in this group of players keeping Fulham up this season compared to the squad from two seasons ago? Ben, I watched that game yesterday and all I could think is we may not win this game, but we look like a Premier League level team. We look like we're competing. We, we've gone to a you know, a, an established team, uh, a ground that we haven't ever had much success at over the years, um, a side that's been on pretty good form, even though they may have lost quite a few games recently. That's because they've been playing the likes of Liverpool and City um, and and felt like we were more than held our own. And especially given the fact there are three bloody shocking teams around us in the league this season from Sheffield United, Burnley and West Brom, I do have some confidence. Like, I, I I just think everyone wrote us off so quickly and we may just still go down, but I'm I'm way more confident that we won't than two years ago. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a case of night and day. When you look at the, the two performances we've put in the last two games, you start to see something coming together. There there are more green shoots than there, they, there are this season and there certainly was in the season that we went down. And uh, the season that we went down, uh, by this, I think by this point, we may have already changed managers. Um, and uh, uh, we would already have changed to a completely different identity to the one that got us up. Uh, and this time around, uh, we always say this with Scott, and I think some of us, m- myself included, can sometimes lose a lot of patience with him because clearly he tries something and it takes five or six weeks to come off. And clearly now, I think we're getting to the point where everything he's working on in terms of a setup, a shape, uh, a way of playing, getting people in the right positions. Prime example being Tom Kearney now being in the 10 again. It's all starting to come together a little bit more. Whether we stay up, I think, does depend entirely on what we get from the games, you know, off the teams that are in and around us and whether we can sort of sustain this through this period where we've got a lot of, you know, on paper top six teams and on paper better teams than us. But I think there's one thing about Scott's teams is that they love being the underdog and they love proving people wrong. So let's hope that they continue to do that. 
Yeah. Uh, final question. I'll go to you on this one. Well, actually, no, I'm going to get an uh, opinion from all three of you. Branson Gibson says, which was worse, Kamara's penalty versus Huddersfield after he took the ball off Mitro and missed, or Lukman's Penenka? Um, I'm going to say 100% for me, Kamara's penalty. Uh, Adam, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think Kamara's penalty was worse because there was the whole debacle before it. It's you could. Understand- oh, I'm, I, th- I think he means the whole situation here, not necessarily the actual penalty that was taken. Just like what made you yeah. more angry or what made you more frustrated, and and take the whole picture into consideration, not necessarily the actual technique of the strike or whatever. Yeah, I don't. I don't know whether it was because I was at the game, but I was far more incensed by the Kamara incident. I remember absolutely screaming at him, "What are you doing?" Um, whereas yesterday I calmed down fairly quickly and it was, you know, he, he still, Lookman, sorry, gave it his best shot whilst it wasn't the right approach. I think with Kamara, with Kamara like overtaking, you know, Mitrovic is a penalty taker there. It was just mental, that whole incident. Um, ben, your thoughts on this one? Um, I think, well, so much rode on that, that Huddersfield game, didn't it? Um, and he sort of, bleak chance that he had staying up was was down to Bubikar Kamara. But I feel like last night, um, for me personally, it hurt a little bit more because we'd put up such a fight. We really deserved to get something out of the game. And obviously living in what is basically West Ham territory in Essex, it would have been lovely to not have them gloating every five bloody minutes. But, you know, I, it's such a, a horrible way to end a game that had such promise for the team. So I think I might go Lookman on here. But on that, I just want to say that like we need to give him as much support as possible. Clearly, a great player, had a great start to his Fulham career and will be a big player for us this season, regardless of if that punt he went in or not. And I thought his... I, I find it a bit awkward that players have to apologise for something like that on social media, but he did and it was a, a very well-worded and I thought quite a mature response for, from Adam Ola and I don't feel like you should have to apologise, but I, I think it went down well amongst most of the fan base regardless. Um, Farrell, finally, your thoughts on, on this uh, moral debate? For me, it was the Kamara one um, because I felt like as soon as he was arguing with, you know, with Mitrovic and Kearney and, you know, you can hear the manager shouting at him and all that kind of stuff. I felt like Kamara was a slight against the whole squad and the, and, you know, the fans that he, he felt like he was kind of bigger than the entire sort of like uh, setup that he thought he was going to overrule that everyone in the hierarchy to to do that and then decided to fluff it. We obviously, we might not even be talking about it right now if he actually managed to score it. So that's that's why that's probably uh, uh, one debate that we probably won't ever talk about. I, I just think for me, yeah, the Kamara incident and what it did, he defied orders there and... Lookman didn't defy orders last night. I mean, maybe apart from Parker's orders, which would have been bang it straight down the middle, you absolute wallop. But other than that, Kamara, you know, defied rank. He broke the team ethic with what he did. And I and I think it was instrumental in the dismantling of the uh, dressing room confidence that year. You know, look, we've all forgiven Kamara and he's proved his worth to us since. But yeah, I still think that the Kamara incident was worse, but I just, I just shook my head last night and just was kind of like in this fully why always us. I swear other teams don't have incidents or moments like that. It just, 
it was just, so many people messaged afterwards and said like i know that like fulhamish is not a word that i like using but that was fulhamish tonight and uh, i guess uh, i guess that's why we called the podcast this name isn't it okay we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to name the pod and do any other business Welcome back to part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy James here with Ben Jarman, Anna for Carson and Farrell Monk. So uh, thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. And, and of course, um, a really difficult four games coming up after the international break. Um, well, I mean, there isn't then another international break. There's much more than four games in a row. But I guess if you want to break it into four game chunks, it's Everton at home, uh, followed by Leicester, followed by Man City, followed by Liverpool. Um, Adam, I mean, literally, if we could get a point out of those four, I think Fulham would be pretty happy, wouldn't they? It would be nice, wouldn't it? I think what we need to do is make sure that we don't completely capitulate ahead of Christmas. Because if it comes to the Christmas period and we got either nothing from those games, but the performances were absolute dross, then we're really not going to be looking forward to that um, busy Christmas period at all, are we? No, I think it's really important to, to have that confidence. But I guess, Ben, like, look, Everton have lost three in a row and, you know, a very good team managed by one of the world's greatest managers. But, like, I, I like to think that Fulham have got a decent record against Everton at the Cottage as well and that we'll be going into the game thinking we can win this. We're not favourites, but we can win this on our day. Oh, definitely. I think, you know, when a team comes in there, three losses on the bounce without a couple of their key players, you have to go for the jugular. And I'd be disappointed if Fulham didn't sort of keep this semi-decent form that they've got going on into this next game and get something out of out of the, the Everton game. I also think that if you catch Leicester on the wrong day, that you can get something out of them as well. They've, they've dropped a couple of bum notes already this season. And, and I think that maybe if the, if the day's right and things go our way, we could maybe get a point out of them too. Maybe, yeah. And that would, you know, I think at this point you have to look at that like a half decent return. But I guess that's way it made what made yesterday so gutting is because if yeah. we get a point out of that and then we have five points going into this run of games, I think we'd all be sitting here, you know, rubbing our hands thinking, job well done. And I guess that's what makes yesterday just extra gutting. But we will go again. Uh, we'll have uh, a two week break and then some, yeah, big games coming up before Christmas. Um, Adam, I know you were looking through the uh, three word reviews and therefore are choosing the pod name today so uh, what have you gone for i think we're gonna have to go for point chipped away sorry adam ola oh nice uh who who gave you that one uh, that was from rocus rocus very well done thank you for naming the podcast today so we will be doing some podcasts during the international break uh jack and peter rutzler will be doing a podcast on thursday uh, i guess looking at everything ffc from peter's point of view uh, obviously he was uh, at the game yesterday and will be able to give us some insight and uh, what parker said after the game uh, and then normal fulhamish will return a week on thursday looking ahead to that everton game at craven cottage and of course once again we will be joined by peter from the athletics so adam thank you very much for being on the podcast today cheers sammy james thank you for being on the podcast today thanks sammy cheers mate and farrell um i mean i've very much put a black mark against your name after what you did in that second part of the podcast today but thank you for being on anyway <laughs> i mean how many black marks do i have is there like a poster up in your house like 
you're a teacher and you've there's like a league table of all the Fulhamish contributors and I'm firmly yeah. at the bottom of the table. Yeah, it's you and Jack Collins firmly at the bottom of the table. Adam's got all the gold stars because he uh, he designs nice graphics uh, very often. So he often gets a lot of gold stars. But yeah, no, I think um, a good three black marks going against your name after the uh, after the rock hard giggity incident in part two. <laughs> <laughs> right i mean so. that was that was you I, I that i've got to say i think you need to put, put a black mark against your own name there no what i need to do is start reading the questions before i actually read them out <laughs> i was like anchorman there he elijah caught us out but uh he, he 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 led to a very good moment in the podcast today all right have a good start of your week and we will speak to you later on in the week come on you whites Come on, you whites.